0: Every week, every week, it's so, so, so good. Uh, Welcome home, everyone. So glad you're here. I'd like to open today with just a bit of Bible. We have a lot of Bible today, and so I hope that you are ready to hear from the Word of God, starting with Proverbs chapter 4, and then we're going to do a little bit from uh, Psalm 34 as well. So you can just close your eyes, think, do whatever you need to do to just receive from God right now. It says this, my child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet, stay the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. And this is from Psalm 34. Trust in the Lord and do good. I'm just going to say that one more time. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn and justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, everybody. Good to see you. How are you doing? Everyone good? I know we're like in the time of church where I talk a lot, but I would just love... How are you guys doing? You okay? Okay, awesome. Uh, Robert Thomas, I thought you were gone for the weekend, and here you are in the front. You can't miss church. You get an extra heart chocolate, just in case. And I got one more, and I don't know. I think, Ben Sos, maybe you need a little extra. This is, this is not my calling, okay, but I'm just going to try. Oh! I'm a lefty, though, so maybe that's, that was my problem. Thank you for the assist there. We appreciate you digging for that chocolate. Hey, everyone, so glad you're here. How nice is it to be able to have a little break in the service to just say hi to each other and eat some candy? Not too bad, right? Anyway, hey, if you don't know me, much like Pastor Jeff, if you don't know me, my name is David. If you're first time here, or you're joining us online, welcome home. We're so glad you're here. My name is David, um, and I'm your lead pastor here, just really excited to be sharing from the scriptures today. All right, so we are on week two of this kind of end-of-summer series called The New You, taking a closer look at this new life we've been given in Christ, seen in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And... This is a pretty common passage that we've that we're kind of preaching through. I'll read it to you now. It says, "Therefore if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here." If anyone is in Christ, the old is gone, the new is here. Now, what does this mean? Cuz I know that many of us have heard this before and we just preached it last week, but it essentially means if you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, then upon your confession of faith, this is what we just did during communion, our confession of faith. You died to your former way of life. And you were raised to new life with Jesus. The old is gone. The new is here. The new you. And this new life that you've been given, it has no compartments It just has one whole space. It affects every single part of your being, and there's nothing that your eternal life that God has given you doesn't touch because the old is gone. Even if you wanted it back, you can't have it. Let me say that again. The old is gone. And even if you wanted it back, you can't have it. You are new in every way. And I know that might sound a little wild, like hold on a second, I know I'm going to heaven because of Jesus, but I still sin. And I still fall back into my old way of life all the time. And so, it sure sounds like I'm, I'm a sinner. It sounds like the old is sticking around. But listen, and I need you to hear me when I say this, just because you sin, it doesn't make your identity that of a sinner. Just because you sin, it doesn't make your identity that of a sinner any more than the prodigal son who left the house. It didn't make him an orphan. You might fall back into your old ways. You might slip up like we all do. You might even f- find yourself walking away from God, but that doesn't mean that you are defined by your actions. The scripture says that you aren't defined by your actions, you're defined by God's actions for you. And I know this is contrary to just about everything you hear in our world today, but it's true. You do not get to decide what's true about you. You don't get to decide what's true about you. You are what God says you are, and God says you are new. And God says, you are loved forever. And there's nothing you or anyone can do about it. The Apostle Paul, in second half of our Bibles, Romans chapter 8, he says this, it'll be on the screen. He says that, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, or demons, neither fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell, friends. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed to our Lord. Friends, if God made you new, then you are new. If God made you new, if you gave your life to Jesus, you are loved and you are family forever and you are born again from here to heaven, born again, into a new life with three things that can never be taken away. And that's what this series is really all about. The three things that can never be taken away. You are born into a new life with a new future, a new eternal life. This we covered last week. You're born into a new life with a new name, and we'll be talking about this next week. And, you, and you're born into a new life with a new heart. And that's what we're covering today. A new future, a new name, and a new heart. This is the new you. Now, as we dig into this new heart that we've been given by God through the resurrection of Jesus, I think it's important that we define a few terms, because in our world today, the the, the heart, whether it's candy distributed to Robert and Ben, the heart that we've been given, it, it carries so many different meanings. From, from candy during community time to the organ inside your chest pumping blood to the, the warm and fuzzy feelings I had when I dropped my kids off for their first day of school on Wednesday, praise the Lord. <laughs> to my deep affection for my beautiful wife, Rebecca, to growing up going to Bible camp, where we, we learned that the ticket to heaven was to ask Jesus into your heart. You get the point, right? I mean, our hearts get lumped up into a number of different categories with a whole lot of different intentions. So what do I mean when I say that God has given his people a new heart? Good question. Let me explain. We're going to start today talking about the backstory of hearts in the scriptures, and then we're going to talk a little bit about definitions, and then we're going to end today talking about application. If you are a linear thinker, get your note card out. Starting with backstory, definitions, and applications. So, in the origin in our scriptures of this concept for a new heart, or the backstory, it actually starts pretty close to the beginning of our Bibles in the story of God. It starts in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And this is right at the end of Moses' life. He's 120 years old. And at this point, Israel had wandered for 40 years post-Exodus, if you know the story. They were freed from captivity. They reached the Jordan. They weren't ready to take the new promised land. And so they wandered for 40 years. And now here they are at the shore of the Jordan again, right about to jump into new leadership with—who took over from Moses? Joshua. Good. So they're right about to, to, to follow Joshua into the promised land when Moses— delivers this forward, prophetic moment for Israel and an encouragement and reminder. And he says this. It'll be on the screen. Again, lots of Bible today, but just take it in. Moses says this. He says, In the future, when you experience all these blessings and curses I have listed for you, and when you are living among the nations to which the Lord your God has exiled you, take to heart all these instructions. If at that time you and your children return to the Lord your God, and if you obey with all your heart, all your heart and all your soul, man, that sounds familiar. If you obey with all your heart and all your soul all the commands I have given you, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes. He will have mercy on you and gather you back from all the nations where he has scattered you. We're getting there. Verse 4. Even though you are banished to the ends of the earth, the Lord your God will gather you from there and bring you back again. The Lord your God will return you to the land that belonged to your ancestors, and you will possess that land again. Then he will make you even more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. And this is it. This is the part I need you to remember. Verse six. The Lord your God will change your heart. The Lord your God will change your heart and the hearts of all your descendants so that you will love him with all your heart and soul, and so you may live. So, what do you see here? I know it's a lot. What's Moses saying? He's saying, in the future, because of your faithfulness, the ebbs and flows of your faithfulness, you will experience an inevitable exile to, to correct your behavior and to create correct your identity, get you back on track. But Moses says, even in exile, God will be with you, and God is faithful to gather his people again. And he will make them faithful by changing their, what? Hearts. Awesome. Verse 6. Why would he do this? So they might love him. Verse 6. So they might love him with all their heart and their soul. Cool. Now, fast forward a bit beyond them taking the new land to the story of Israel and these words of Moses. They actually came true a number of different times where Uh, God's people, Israel, they moved in and out of faithfulness, and so God sent them out, and they were able to be occupied and and put in captivity and exiled. But still, even with all their failure, it didn't change who they were. They were still God's people. They were still God's people, even in exile, even with the promise of one day receiving this new heart. Now, the story, it jumps ahead to a season of captivity about 600 years before Jesus, where the God began to speak through a new prophet— Called Ezekiel And the common message from Ezekiel throughout his throughout his ministry was essentially that God will soon gather his people back God will bring correction to his people God will gather them back and send them home to restore his kingdom and give them a new heart A new heart and a new spirit. And so this is from Ezekiel chapter 36. It'll be on the screen it says, therefore, give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. I am bringing you back, amen. But not because you deserve it. it has nothing to do with, with what you are doing, Israel. God says, I am doing it to protect my holy name on which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. I will show you how holy my great name is, the name on which brought, you brought shame among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you, before their very eyes, says the Sovereign Lord, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. For I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. And this is it, verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. Picture baptism. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart, and I will put my spirit in you. Why? So that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Now, cool. Stick with me. Lock it all away. The backstory and context is almost complete. So Moses and Ezekiel, they were prophesying about a moment. A moment after God gathers his people, sends them home back into the Promised Land. A time where God's glory would fall and his people would be transformed. Once and for all, given new hearts. With a new spirit, they are connected. The new heart and the new spirit, they are connected. So now we, we, we fast forward another 600 years into the time of Jesus, And Israel was finally brought back to their home. They were allowed to return. The Roman Empire was in charge, but Jesus was here, and it was good. And for three years, Jesus, he hit the scene. He called his disciples and taught them how to make disciples. He he performed countless miracles. He he shook up the religious institutions and disrupted the Roman Empire, the Jewish temple system. It, it, it It was an incredible time as God... His glory came to earth, and, and everyone saw what was happening. But, but this disruption eventually got Jesus captured and arrested and, and tried and executed on a Roman cross. But this was all actually according to plan. From Deuteronomy 30 and Ezekiel 36, this was all according to plan for the new heart and the new spirit. So Jesus, he's executed, and he is buried, but he doesn't stay dead. Romans 8 says that three days later, the power of the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. Why did this happen? It happened so we might join him in his resurrection. He was raised from the dead so we might join him in eternal life, so we might live for him with this new heart and new spirit. And that's what we saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That Jesus died for everyone so that those who receive his new life would no longer live for themselves. Instead, they would live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone, and the new has begun. So, almost done. Jesus dies. He's raised to new life. Fifty days later, we reach this place called Pentecost. And this is where we finally see the promise for God's... We finally see God's promise fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. And this is again on the, bio, on the screen. It says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. And filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit, Acts chapter 2. The fulfillment of the promise. I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my relations. And this, this is it with a lot of context and a lot of background. It's important. But this is it, the context for why we have this new heart according to the scriptures. That, that when you give Jesus your life and you're raised to new life in him, when you become a new person, God replaces your heart with his and he gives you a spirit his Spirit to call it home. You, if you have given your life to Jesus, friends, you have been given a new heart. You have been given a new heart with a new Spirit. But all that said, what does that mean? What does that actually mean for us to have a new heart? Well, for to understand this new heart, we must first understand what the heart means to God. And what the heart means As it is inspired by the prophets and their writers, and so a little bit of a little bit of uh, information here So the heart in the ancient world Specifically the ancient hebrew world uh, was seen as the centerpiece of humanity It was seen as the center of someone's personhood in that age uh, in the ancient world. They had no real concept for what a brain was They didn't know what it did. And so for them they believed that all understanding um, it happened within the heart. That all wisdom came from the heart. That all discernment came from the heart. Emotions and choices and motivations and desires, the human will, everything flowed from the heart. The heart was the source for every step, and it was the final authority for every thought. The heart was essentially what made you, you. Or the new that's You. And it's this commandment attached to us for the greatest commandment in this and then Jesus first with 12 in Deuteronomy 6. This desire in Jesus and you would have that him with desire Your heart would lift your soul, your strength, heart that you strengthen and with everything that makes us who we are, that we everything, God with every emotion, every choice, every decision, every motivation, with every step and every breath. This is what God wants from his people. It's what he's always wanted from his people. But Israel, earlier in the story, even with seasons of faithfulness, they just couldn't stay true in their hearts for God. So God—remember, all the way back to to Moses and Ezekiel— God made a promise to them to give them new hearts, to exchange their stubborn, selfish hearts of stone for a tender—his tender, loving, heart of flesh. Why? Because God knew for them. God knew for them to be faithful to the promise they were given. They needed a new heart to be fully devoted to God and to love him well. They needed new hearts. They needed new hearts to be who they needed to be. So uh, it reminds me, this reality reminds me a bit of um, this kind of wild transformative season in my own life when Rebecca and I uh, had just before we started dating and I I don't like to I don't like to brag but I do have some amazing pictures and so do, Rebecca you just want to throw them up there real quick this is our throwback picture right here again natural blonde as I've gotten older it's gotten grayer I guess um, but this is this is right as we started dating in 2000 and 2010, I told you, all right. Um, But if you know our story, it didn't actually start with smiles on our faces. And so we met on Facebook, I know of all places, and we started talking, and then she eventually uh, moved up from Mississippi to Minneapolis to pursue grad school at Bethel Seminary. And when she moved up there, we weren't dating, we were friends from a distance, but but we had to work out some stuff on how to actually be friends. And so... Um, she was here in Minnesota for about a month, and we just could not get along. We just could not stand each other. And, and, I, and I don't know all the root to it, but, but I do know that we had to have a true come-to-Jesus moment. And so the next picture, Rebecca, throw that up there. This was from that moment, Rebecca. Right? This is from that moment. Okay, so kind of blurred in the background, there's this beautiful dog. This is, just picture this moment for a second, and now, Rebecca, you can kind of clear it all out. I don't want to cause anyone some distractions, you know. With all these, anyway. Okay, so we um, we had this come to Jesus moment where um, we just couldn't get along, and we were bickering and fighting, and like, and there, we, there something needed to change. We just couldn't be who we needed to be. And so I I go over to her apartment, and she's living in the at this attic of this house, and um and and she I want to say this politely because she was in the right, but she just starts coming at me and saying, like, you're just not a good guy. And I'm like, you're not a good friend. And, like, you don't even know me. You can't speak to me like that. But the reality is it was, it was true. I was, I was a bit of a mess at the time. But, but we had this moment where it got to the point of, like, we knew all this stuff about each other. We had all this past, but we just couldn't figure out how to step into the future. And so it came this moment of saying, like, all right, what if we just, what if we just started over? What if we just started over? And in this moment, it was the craziest thing. I don't know if you've ever experienced something like this. It was this craziest thing where it felt like, it felt like God, like Ezekiel 36, it felt like God literally took out our hearts and replaced them with his. It was a night and day difference. We're sitting there at odds fighting, and all of a sudden we agree to step into the new together. And God, it felt like he literally took out our heart of stone for one another and replaced it with his heart of flesh. And everything changed, and we were married like six months later. And it's been 11 years? (laughs) All right, I got you. I got you. But God did it. We had nothing to do with it. God did it. Why? So we might walk into the newness of life together. God did it, and we might love one another well. God changed our hearts so we would love one another. And that's exactly what we see here in the scriptures. This is the prime motivation for God giving us a new heart. God wants us to love him. Deuteronomy chapter 30, the Lord your God will change your heart and the hearts of your descendants so that you will love him. God wants your your love. You have been saved to love God. So, along with your new future and eternal life, He gives you a new heart, a new source that leads to new motivations and new behaviors and new passions and decisions and convictions and thoughts and discernment and discipline. God gave you an entirely new heart that makes you new in every way. So, Ezekiel 36, so you will follow His decrees and obey His regulations, so you might be found in His love, Deuteronomy 30, and that you might live free by His Spirit, Ezekiel 36. And this is the new you. You have been given a new heart by God to love him with everything. Still, just like we uh, talked about last week a bit, this new life that we have been given with God can be a bit of an adjustment. And even with the new heart and the new spirit we've been given, it can be really challenging to live new with everything we are. And that's because— Even with all the new we've been given, we're still human beings living in a broken world. God didn't raise us from the grave to be robots for Him. No, God designed our faith to be a relationship with Him. And and this is the journey toward obedience that God calls sanctification. It's not overnight. It's not a one-time decision or one-time evaluation that says we're perfect. No, this eternal life that we have been given is intended to, to really be a trajectory that our heart follows into the future as we pursue Jesus. It's a trajectory that our heart follows by the power of the Spirit. Just like Rebecca and I in the attic apartment, even though our hearts changed that day, we still needed to, we still needed to figure out how to, how to coexist. We still needed, our, our lives still needed to, time to catch up. One step at a time. One decision at a time. One thought at a time. It's a process, this life of faith. It's a progression. It's an adjustment. Still, it's one that's not optional for God's people. I need you to know you were saved for a reason. God gave you a new heart to love him. So, what does this actually look like for you and for me? to actually have this new heart lead us, the trajectory towards heaven. And how can we be more faithful with the spirit within? You are in a retreat. Normally, I give you three points. You're getting four today. And, uh, and so if you need another note card, you can grab one from wherever they are. But listen, I got four quick things that I promise will help you, no matter where you're at on this journey with Jesus. Four things that you need to do to live new with a new heart that you've been given the new source, the new motivation, the new direction. Four things. We need to trust in his promise. We need to delight in his purpose. Number three, protect your confession and commit your progression. If it's too much to write down, get your phone out, take a picture. Get these, get these four, honestly, get these. You need these if you want to live a more faithful life with this new heart you've been given. You need to trust his promise, delight in his purpose, protect your confession, and commit your progression. Let's start with trust. Trust in his promise. Did you know that the Bible talks about trust? Trusting God and how God is trustworthy more than 190 times. We heard some of them today from Psalm 34. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Trust him, and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn. Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. We need to trust. We need to trust, but why? Why does trust matter? Trust matters because everything in our lives flows from what we trust. Everything in us flows from what we trust or who we trust to be true. Trust implies authority. Trust implies respect. It implies relationship, and it points to a future. Friends, your salvation started with trust. It started with trusting that Jesus is God and he loves you. It's trusting that the Bible is true and real and acts as an authority for your life. Trusting that Jesus died and rose again, defeating the power of sin and death, and he brought you with him, making you new. This is the first step of faith. It's trust. And every step that flows after is from that same starting point. You need to trust God and his promises. God wants you to trust him like any good dad. He wants you to trust his intentions. God wants you to trust the outcomes. God wants you to trust his motivations and his word more than anything, the promises that he made. Promises like we saw in Romans chapter eight, that there's nothing that you can do that can separate you from his love. Or the promise that he made in Ephesians chapter two, that once you were dead, but now you are alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. Or John chapter 3, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God wants you to know and to trust his promises. Because he loves you and he wants to be around you, but he also wants you to want to be around him. To build your life with him, to know that he is good. God wants you to be confident in his way, his trajectory. God wants you to love him and live in his house as family forever. This is why you were made new to be found in his love and free by his spirit. But for that to happen, you need to trust. You need to trust to find meaning and reality and direction and security and safety in God and not in yourself. And this is the first step to living new with a new heart you've been given. And, I, and listen, I understand that trust is hard. Anyone have a hard time in trust? Every hand goes up, but no one wants to show it. I appreciate that. We all have a hard time with trust because we've all been burned more times than we can count. But if you're ever going to live new, reflecting the new heart you've been given, you need to trust God. And I know this might be counterculture a bit. But while we often think that an emotional—that trust is like this emotional response or emotional equity that, that, that flows from a series of circumstances— Listen, I truly believe that trust can just be a decision, an intentional decision that you make, to trust someone. Back to Rebecca and I in the apartment for a second. We both started that conversation with no trust. No trust at all. We were filled with doubt and frustration because of the past. We were filled with skepticism. I didn't trust that she had my best in mind and she didn't trust that I was a good guy. And she was right. We didn't trust one another. So it was impossible for us to live and do this new life together. But when we started over, in that moment of decision, and God did this miracle in our hearts, the first thing we had to do was decide to trust, to see what could be, and assume the best. The first choice we had to make was to trust the other's intentions, independent of the past, independent of previous hurts, we had to let it go. The old is gone. The new has come. We had to let go of the old and choose to trust. And everything else, everything else from our new life together flowed from that decision to trust one another. And that's exactly what we see in Proverbs chapter 3. Um, trust comes first. And, and, and you can choose to trust God today. I just want you to know that. You can choose to trust God. You can choose to trust that he's real You can decide to trust that he's good and that he loves you and he has your best in mind. And you must, you must, you can't be a Christian without trust. I know there are competing voices from the world, ripe with contradiction, just begging for our attention. I know that we all have impulses within all of us that want to fight against authority and being told what to do. But while our emotions and experiences might be real, they do not always accurately reflect the reality of God in this world. God is good. God is true. You can trust him. You can count on him. You can find your meaning in him. You can find your direction in him. You can find your eternal security in him and his love, so you might live free by his power. And this brings us up to number two. We need to trust in his promise so we might delight in his purpose. Trust in his promise so we might delight in his purpose. Now, how often does the word delight enter your vocabulary? Anyone? Not often. I see, I see you. Yeah, you're like, okay, every once in a while. Trenton, I feel good about that. You're like, I, I delight at playing drums. This is so wonderful. But I'm just to be honest with you, I don't, I don't often say things like, man, I'm just, I just really delighting in this wonderful cup of coffee. Or I'm delighting in, in dropping my kids off in like the 30-minute drop-off line at school, okay? <laughs> when people ask, I don't often say, I, I'm just delightful, you know? Delight isn't at the forefront of my vocabulary, mostly because I didn't always know what it meant. I kind of assumed it was like this sentimental, kind of fluffy language, but friends, I was doing some study in in Psalm 34, and where it says, Take delight in the Lord. I discovered that delight speaks less about your circumstances and far more about things like purpose and significance and fulfillment and satisfaction. So when we read this verse from Psalm 34, verse 4, it says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give your heart's desires. What the author is really getting at is that that we would delight and find our fulfillment and our purpose and our peace in the Lord. That beyond just trusting, we would choose to find our identity and be satisfied with our connection with God. That we'd no longer live for ourselves, that we would no longer live controlled by our old way of life or keep options open just in case something better comes along. When you delight When you delight, it means you are choosing to live devoted. You are choosing to live devoted. One more time back to the attic with me and Rebecca. After Rebecca and I decided to trust one another, we naturally began to find our satisfaction in one another. We weren't looking around for potential suitors, we weren't keeping our options open just in case things didn't work out. No, our trust, it led to delight. Our trust led to delight as we devoted our whole heart to this new life together. And that's the idea, Psalm 34. God made us new. Amen. But he made us new to be new with him. He saved us so we would love like he loves, so we would find our meaning and our purpose and our satisfaction in his affection for us, that we would delight in the Lord and his purpose. And why is this important? It's important because of the second half of that verse. Uh, It says this. uh, uh, Delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. This is why it's important. And let me bring some clarity on this verse real quick, too, because it's been taken out of context a lot. What the writer is saying here isn't that you will find, that if you find your purpose with God, he'll give you what you want. What God is saying here is, That if you find your fulfillment in him, he will replace your desires with his. He will give you your heart's desires, not your heart's desires. He will remove your old stubborn heart of stone and replace it with his tender, loving heart of flesh. God will replace your desires of your heart with his desires. And this ultimately, this is what it takes to live a new life with a new heart you got to trust God and his promises for you, that the change he made in you actually stuck, and it's forever. And then you have to delight in his purpose for you and find meaning in him, and he'll give you the desires of your heart, a new heart. You need to trust and you need to delight. This is the new you. Cool. But even with the best of intentions, again, as we walk this, this life with Jesus, as we trust him and delight in him, we're still subject to all these outside influences. We're still hit time and time again by all of these things pulling at us from our old way of life. Paul calls it in Ephesians 4, he calls it the lies, so clever they sound like the truth. Where even if we stay faithful and live new, to to really live it is a challenge, which is why these last two points, and I'm going to make them really quick for you. This is where the last two points come in. And they don't need much of an explanation, but if you are new and if you've given your life to Jesus— then you must be proactive to protect your confession. Protect your confession to God. Proverbs 4 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. I don't know if you know this, but your heart, where you place your trust, where you find your delight and your purpose, your heart, it determines the trajectory of your life. It determines the course of your life, so you must guard it from outside and the inside. You must guard the new heart you've been given and protect your confession, the confession that you've made to God. How do we do that? Proverbs 4 lays it out really clearly, starting in verse 24. He says, if you want to live faithful with your new heart, verse 24 of Proverbs 4, avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. The answer is watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. If you want to live faithful with your new heart, look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. If you want to live faithful with your new heart, mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Focus on what Jesus said. And verse 27, don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. This is how you guard your heart. You create boundaries around your life to protect your confession to Jesus. You develop pre-decisions that you know are consistent with what God wants for you. So in the midst of a season of change, you won't give in to your old way. I saw this last night when I was just, when I was just reading the Bible as the kids were going to bed in 1 John chapter 5. He says it like this. He says, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place from your heart. Keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. You need to create boundaries to guard your heart. But with this, with the boundaries that we have to create, the predecisions to remain faithful, please don't hear me say that, you, that protecting your confession means hiding away from the world or sticking your head in the sand till you die so you don't sin. God doesn't want you to live sheltered. He wants you to live in the world, not of the world. God wants you to make the most of every opportunity that you've been given in this new life with this new heart. But you need to protect your confession, create boundaries, guard your heart. And this leads us up to our last point. God wants your trust to delight, to protect your confession. Why? So you might commit your progression so you might commit everything you do to this new life with him. This new life of faith, friends, is is more than just belief. It's more than just up here. It's more than just not doing wrong things. The new you has been made new to do the right things. Psalm 34 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Do good. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. God wants you to do things. God wants you to do things. The greatest commandment we're given is to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength with all we do. But that's not all. This new heart we've been given isn't just to love God. The second half of that command is to love our neighbor with the same heart, the same new heart. God wants you to know that your life matters. I'm here to tell you that today. Your life matters to Him, your days matter your choices that you make, the decisions you take, they can have eternal impact. And so you must view these days through an eternal perspective. And this is essential. If you're new, you must choose to commit everything you do and everything in you, everything around you, everything that defines you to this trajectory with God. Commit everything you do to the Lord and seek his will in all you do. And he will show you which path to take. And y'all, this this is what it really takes, I believe, to live faithful with a new heart that we've been given, to be found in his love and freed by his Holy Spirit. It's trusting in his promises. It's delighting in his purposes. It's protecting our confession that we have made of our salvation. It's guarding your heart from the world and committing everything to the Lord for the sake of the world. Now, as we close today and we consider for just a moment the ramifications of all we've heard, let me just say one more time for good measure, because I got you. The world's got you six days a week, and I got you for like 90 minutes, okay? And so let me just say it one more time to let this sink in. If you're a Christian, God has made you new. He has given you a new future, rich with freedom and possibility. And he's given you a new heart to help shape your days, your thoughts, your behaviors, your motivations, your decisions, your intentions, your passions, your opinions, your convictions, everything. A new heart to help shape your life from the inside out. And this new heart you've been given will determine the course of your life. If you let it, this new heart will lead you into greater faith and obedience It will direct your steps. It will. Your new heart of tender love for God, Deuteronomy 30. If if it's there, it will lead you to more than you could ask or imagine by the power of his Holy Spirit. God has done all the work, but now it's up to you to live new in reply, to trust and delight, protect and commit. God has done everything to bring you into a better way. Now it's up to you. So as we close today, there's no song. There's no public response. There's no, like, emotionally charged, compelling moment where you sign your name on a, on a piano uh, for the name of Jesus, you know? like We could do that sometime. That would be cool. That we should do that sometime. Jeff? Is that in the Bible? It's not. Okay. I just want you to know, to really know, that God's affection for you, God's affection for you is endless. And he believes in you far more than you believe in yourself. God believes in you enough to give you a new future, a new heart, and he has given you his power so you might go and make much of your days. So let's do just that. Amen? Amen. Let's be a church that chooses to trust in the promises of God. Say it. Amen? Amen. Let's be a family that delights in the purpose he has given us. Amen? Amen? Let us be a people that protects our confession and commits our progression, everything we do, everything we are, everything we have, to the way of Jesus in his name. Amen. Amen. I just want to pray for you as we close, and then we are going to hit the road on this beautiful day in the greatest city in the entire universe, La Crescenta, California. I'm so grateful that you listened. Thank you so much for for paying attention, and I saw saw, um, notes being taken. I'm so grateful that you take notes. We have a podcast if you missed anything. You can start listening to it again tomorrow if there's anything that you missed. But I just pray, I pray for you every single week. And I specifically pray that you would come to know what God thinks about you. That's why we're talking about this for three weeks. I want you to know more than anything what God believes to be true about you, what God has said is true about you. Not what the world is trying to tell you, but what God is telling you, that once you were lost, but now you are found, and once you were blind, but now you can see, once you were a slave to sin, but now you have been freed by the Holy Spirit, your sinful nature has been buried in the grave with Jesus, and you've been given a new spirit-filled, tender, sensitive heart to make the most of your days, to go and love God well. So as you go today, I just want to pray that, that God would open your eyes to his presence and that your heart, maybe for the first time, would find that tenderness toward God in ways that you never thought possible. So let's pray and then we can, we can get out of here. Jesus, we are so grateful for your love. We are so grateful that you are real and you're good and you love us and that you're leading us to peace together as a church. God, I ask, even in this moment, with all the backstory that we'd see ourselves within this gospel narrative, that you started all the way back in the Garden, up to Deuteronomy 30, into Ezekiel 36, into John chapter 3, into, and into, and into, and into. God, that we begin to see ourselves within this narrative that you've been crafting of of love and freedom by your Spirit. So God, in this moment, I ask that you would just settle heavy on our hearts on the center of who we are, God, that you would remind us again and again that we are new in your name and that there is nothing that we can do or nothing the world can do that could ever steal us away from your love. God, that we are new because you said so. God, help us live in reply. Help us trust you more this week, God. Help us delight in the purpose that you've given us. God, help us protect this faith that, that started as just a seed and has grown into fruit that has affected others. God, we ask that you would help us protect our faith and commit everything we are to you as we walk this narrow road beside you. So Jesus, we love you, and we're so grateful for all that you've done. We know we don't deserve it. We know we've done nothing to earn it, God, but you still did it anyway, and so God, we thank you. And we ask that this message, these words, your word from the Scriptures, God, would penetrate our hearts again to love you more and lead us to greater lives of faith and obedience. And so, Jesus, it's in your name that we pray, the name above all names, and his church said, amen, amen. That wasn't too bad, was it? Was it okay? All right, I love you guys. Thank you so much for being here. No, 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 no. Let's give the Lord a hand, okay? Let's thank Jesus. (laughs) I'm so grateful uh, to be your pastor. I'm so grateful that God brought us here. I love this church more than I've ever loved a church before, and I love you guys. And so go with God, be faithful, and uh, grab some coffee on your way out, hang in the lobby. Do what you need to do. Grab some food. I love you. I'll see you next week. Catch you later.